Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to Steam Cleaners, a podcast in which my lovely co-host and I talk about two or more different video games that we've played uh, over the last two weeks. They're different games every episode. That's kind of the whole thing. And of course, when I say co-host, I am referring to the lovely Walter C.A.D.'s Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. It has been... Uh... It's been a good couple of weeks over here in the uh, the Rough Draft Rochester studios. Um, I, nothing like specific. It's just been, it's just been good, dude. It's just been a really good time. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, my partner will probably be on her way to uh, the French Alps to spend uh, a week and a half with some of her um, foreign exchange friends. So uh, I will be miserable for 10 days because I will be by myself um, and I won't know what to do with myself. So hopefully I'll be able to get to some of the games that I want to play in my Steam library. <laughs> but other than that, how have you been, Chase? Well, first of all, I'll get the Celine Dion prepared for you when you're all by yourself. Um, but I'm <laughs> I'm doing well. I, I think... You know, right now I'm getting a lot of texts from my parents about how crazy the weather is in Colorado and how they're struggling to find new places to pile up the snow because they've just been getting such a crazy amount of 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 snow. And I live in Los Angeles, so I have had a peak of about 66 degrees every day for the last week or so. Um, you don't know what been... weather is. I don't I don't have to. I get weather for about three months of the year. I get a little bit of a period in which things are like closer to like a fall for everybody else, but we call that winter. And we have a couple months in which we have like a real summer. And it's not ideal. But everything else is just the same middle of the road, reasonably nice weather. And honestly, I don't understand why anyone lives any other way. Now that I've done it for myself. I mean, it's 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 like sixty to seventy degrees and sunny, eight months of the year. I I don't understand why anyone would not want to opt into that. Well, I would say it's what am I missing? I, I would say I live in upstate New York, so I don't have to deal with earthquakes. But then Buffalo had one two days ago. So I don't. <laughs> I, listen, dude, my weather week has been. We started uh, last last weekend, so we're we're recording this the same day we recorded the uh, the Triangle of Sad Ca Sadness podcast. It is February eighth. Uh, so this past weekend, it was uh, single digits, uh, negative degrees with a wind chill, and today it was fifty five degrees. I don't fucking know what weather is anymore. <laughs> and there was an earthquake in Buffalo the same day, actually, uh, only a few hours after the earthquake happened um, in Turkey. Um, you know, thoughts and, and prayers legitimately with everyone over there. Um, that's that's truly horrendous um, how many people have been affected by that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, weather fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... Yeah, shout out to everyone in Turkey. That took a different turn than I thought that story was going to. That was like a hard, I was ready to do a like, oh yeah, earthquakes in Buffalo or like rain in LA. Like it's so crazy. But then, yeah, I mean, shout out to everyone in Turkey. I'm glad my former players are okay. Um, but I hope, um, you know, best of luck to, to everyone there. And I hope uh, the streamers who've done some relief efforts, like I think Hassan raised a million dollars as of today. Uh, towards the relief efforts in those regions so 
very happy to encourage people to give what they can, even though by the time you hear this, it's a couple of weeks old. But it turns out, and I don't know if you know this, Walter, but emergencies don't just disappear two weeks after you read the first headline about them. There's like ongoing consequences and people could still use help. So um, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. Well, you know, Walter, while you're making some very excellent points, this is not a uh, political organizing for communal relief podcast, though. Maybe that should be what we do. Maybe that would be a better use of our time, but we have instead chosen to do a gaming podcast. And so I would like to ask you, Walter, what have you been playing? Well, Chase, I have to get all of my, uh, my good points out now because, um, and I hate to invoke this person because he's a piece of shit, but I need to invoke Skip Bayless here and put on my serious voice. Um, I apologize to everyone for, for what I am about to say. Um, I actually have kind of hemmed and hawed about whether I was going to discuss this game, um, but unfortunately I ran out of time and I had absolutely no chance to find something else to talk about. Um, I played Undertale this past week. Um, I played about six and a half hours of the game, and I'm just going to be right up front with it. I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't enjoy playing it, and... Uh, it is probably not going to be, it, I'll be very honest, it has nothing to do with the story, um, it has nothing to do with the music, it has nothing to do with the game design, it has nothing to do with any of that. I didn't like the gameplay. I do not enjoy bullet hell style shooters, um, or just bullet hell games in general, um, and unfortunately that greatly hampered my enjoyment of this game um because i've mentioned this before like i'll probably never ever talk about a dark souls game or elden ring um i'm someone that i tend to play games on a i i I won't say the easiest setting but you know normal to easier settings because at the end of the day i am playing a video game to be entertained by the story and not necessarily to be challenged by the gameplay Um, At the end of the day, video games, and I will extend this even to movies as we talk about movies and, you know, some of my criticisms with Tar versus what I enjoyed about Triangle of Sadness since those are the last two movies we talked about. um, Entertainment should be entertaining to me. Um, And unfortunately, I was not entertained by Undertale. Um, So I'll start there, Chase. Yeah, what a start. Um, I have a lot of questions that come to mind, Uh, but the first I guess I want to start with is what ending were you going for? Because it sounds like like six and a half hours is enough to beat this game, but the way you phrase that makes me think that you didn't beat this game all the way through. So I'm curious like what your approach was, because at this point, Undertale came out in 2015. There are so many memes, so many stories that people have shared it's been all over the place for so long i have to imagine that you went in with at least a little bit of an understanding of the story and how the gameplay mechanics affect the story that you experience is that a fair assessment no nope. and if nope. no completely fucking no wrong. idea um the only thing i knew about this game 
is I knew there was pacifist and I knew there was murder hobo. And I know from just the conversations that I've heard of Yahtzee Croshaw and just some other like people when they bring it up um, that that I know Yahtzee mentioned that like if you do a kill run, then it affects your save file basically like forever. So I was like, cool, I'm going to try and start with the pacifist thing. Um, and then I somehow accidentally killed Toriel uh, to start the game. Um but I, I kept going with Pacifist. I, I kept kind of getting through it, and I understood the game mechanics. Um, and no, I did not beat the game in any way, shape, or form. Um, I got to the second phase of the Metaton fight, um, where he changes forms. Um, I banged my head against that wall for like 20 minutes. Um, my partner was sitting next to me, and I was doing the, like, putting my hands on the desk that i would do when i play league when i'm not having fun and i finally lost i you know probably like the fifth or sixth time and i just closed out of the game and i said i'm done um so yeah i i i don't know i i don't have a very i don't have a very deep like interpretation or anything in this game because much like Tar, the gameplay completely kept me out of it. It completely kept me out of the plot, completely kept me out of the humor, which, like, the humor was, like... I don't think the humor was necessarily for me either. There was definitely some things I laughed at, and there was definitely some things I groaned at and kind of rolled my eyes, but at the end of the day, I didn't like the gameplay, so I didn't invest in the game. So this is fascinating to me on a number of reasons. One, the fact that you somehow managed to work Tar in and use it as a comparison for gameplay. I appreciate that commitment to spite. Well done on your part. Second, um, you mentioned the uh, accidentally killing uh, Toriel at the beginning. I actually did the same uh, when I was trying to do my first pacifist run. And it actually kept me from playing the game for a couple of years because I knew that if you did anything like the game would remember, that was the point I had heard as well. And I desperately wanted to do the pacifist run first. And so I just assumed that like, unless I got a, a completely different computer, uh, that I wouldn't be able to uh, start over again without it remembering that I did that and ruining my ability to get the pacifist ending. Granted, that was overblown. Um, I think that if the, the point of no return is much further on than that was um so i i did eventually go back and i was just a little bit more patient and eventually i was able to beat that fight peacefully and go on my way for a pacifist run but it is super interesting to me you talk about the gameplay just turning you off so much that you were unable to engage with the rest of it was it purely the bullet hell aspect of that? Or were you also struggling with the, like, having to act and kind of figure out the puzzle of how each enemy unit needed to have you respond in order to get that positive, peaceful outcome? Oh, that was easy as hell. That, that's a part I love. That was easy as hell. I, I had no problems dealing with it. It was the bullet hell in the boss fights that, that truly... Um, just just frustrated me to the point that i was like i don't if i could skip this and keep trying to play the game so i could actually get the story i absolutely would 
Um, no, I thought that was very straightforward. I, and and here's my problem of like why I didn't want to talk about the game. Um, I don't think it's a bad game. Like, I don't. I think it's probably really, really, really good. And I'm going to, you know, defer to all of the other experts and reviewers and people that I admire and respect their critiques and interpretations of this game. I don't want to come out here and be like, it's a bad game. Don't play it. Like, it's just not a game for me. It's just not what I want to play. Um, it wasn't entertaining to me bashing my head into the wall and really like it's only six and a half hours. So you go like, how much time did you really spend bashing your head into the wall? Probably not much in all honesty, but I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to keep trying to face the same boss fight for 20 minutes. Like there was, there was, there was a, there was another boss fight where like I tried playing it. I tried it a couple times. I'm like, I'm done for tonight. I'm going to go to bed. I came back the next day and like two tries beat it and, and moved on from there. And like, I'm sure if I probably sat down and, and went back to the fight and, and got through it, like I, I'd keep playing the game and I move on. But just in that moment of like, I want to be entertained I want to enjoy myself. I want to relax. I only have so many hours in the week to spend on playing games. Um, This wasn't it. This wasn't it for me today. It wasn't it for me where I'm at currently in my life. Um, Maybe that changes down the road, you know? Um, Maybe I go back to it and I give it another try and... Maybe by then I've actually gained some dexterity in my hands so I can handle the bullet hell. Or maybe then I am, you know, I'm playing it, uh, you know, maybe years in the future and I'm playing it along with, you know, my children or my nieces and my nephews or things like that. And and we get through it or something like that. Um, But this week playing it, it wasn't it, Chief. It, it, It wasn't it wasn't it. I do think it's super interesting because you bring up the bullet hell mechanic and there's certainly some parts of it that I would describe that way. But the bosses, I, I f- think I found my groove with it once I stopped seeing it as a bullet hell game and started seeing it as a rhythm game. Which, as you know, I love rhythm games. And the thing about these bosses, almost all of them, they're much more about figuring out the patterns of each attack and what is needed of you in order to respond to that pattern than it was just a raw bullet hell. Because a bullet hell, ultimately, like, you are having to respond in a very immediate way to factors that change ever so slightly based on the uh, enemy layout, on your initial positioning, whatever power-ups you get, right? Like, there are just a lot of factors you have to keep in mind while a whole bunch of stuff is getting shot at you at once. When you're fighting a boss in Undertale, there is a set pattern. You know what they're going to do, and you have the ability, once you learn what that pattern is, you don't have to treat it like a bullet hell anymore, because you're not dodging an unknown, you're reacting to a pattern. But what I'm getting from this is that you never found that kind of sync with it, to the point where it can make that transition, Um, or... I don't know. I don't. Are you much of a rhythm gamer either? Because I'm realizing I, I don't think there are many rhythm games that you've played in the past either. Nah, I fucking hate rhythm games. <laughs> well, that would be the other problem. Then <laughs> I think that might make it tough. 
Um, I guess, like, was there anything that stood out to you as the thing that kept you going when you got frustrated uh, early on? Obviously, eventually you hit your wall about that six and a half hour mark. But before that, I imagine you had some moments that kept you going. Was there a character or an element that really hit you that made you want to push as far in as you did? Or was it just a kind of sense that, oh, well, this is Undertale. Everybody loves Undertale. I need to play it to see why everyone loves it so much. Genuinely, it was I didn't want to come onto a podcast where someone might accidentally stumble upon it by searching Undertale and go Walter Fedchuk didn't like Undertale. Um, I, 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 and, and like you laugh I'm genuinely terrified of that actually um, because I had this conversation with my partner a little bit of, of kind of like what I wanted to discuss with this because I would say that I have a fear of an imaginary gatekeeperness in gaming um, that I don't like to touch on certain things um, there's a reason like I don't talk about Legend of Zelda or I don't really talk, talk about like Final Fantasy or like any of those things because there is a lot of classic gaming that I have never experienced um, and that when I try to like go experience it, like I tried to play the original Deus Ex, right? Because I at the time was watching a lot of Co-Carnage and this was right when the newest deus ex game came out i was like oh cool i'm gonna try and do a deus ex playthrough like it's such this like beloved game like and i played 15 minutes 20 minutes of it i was like what the f this is so hard like this looks like shit like all of these things um that at times i almost feel like an imposter when it comes to being this sort of like you know gaming nerd because really my gaming history starts in 2009 with league of legends like I had a Nintendo 64, I had an Xbox, I had a 360, like, I played Halo, I played, you know, Call of Duty 3, I've played Super Mario 64, I've played, you know, some of these very iconic games, but being a gamer wasn't my identity until the 2010s, and this was one of those where, like, well, this is in my era of being this kind of a nerd, and, and, and a gamer, like, I feel kind of compelled that I have to play it and I, like, have to try it because I have to see what all of the hype is about. And the fact I didn't like it, I don't want it to be that I'm trying to be contrary to everyone. I don't think it's a bad game. Like, there were times where the 8-bit the music would, like, annoy me, but I think that was more because I was frustrated with the game and the music was just like, it was just like that fly that buzzes by you when you're in the office, you've been stuck in the office all day working on this dumb report your boss wants. And you're not mad at the fly, you're mad at the situation. Um, and I don't want, I mean, just not liking the gameplay and, and, and that very specific part of the gameplay, not like the greater puzzles, you know, when you're walking around or, or anything like that, but just like that very specific part of the gameplay to color the rest of the game for me but i couldn't enjoy it because i didn't enjoy that one little piece um and that 
that like terrifies me that I'm going to be judged on that one little thing, even though I know you're not going to judge me on that. And I know the audiences aren't going to judge me on that. It almost feels like a scarlet letter of some kind that I'm like, yeah, I played Undertale and I didn't like it. I do empathize with the position that this puts you in, because I'll be honest, I loved Undertale. I think Undertale is everything that people have made it out to be. That said, no game is for everyone. And I think that sometimes we put an unnecessary pressure on ourselves by saying that, like, oh, because I'm a gamer, I need to like X or have experienced Y. You see those viral posts happen all the time, right? About how many of these series have you played at least one game in? I still get people who are like, oh my god, you haven't played a Final Fantasy game? How could you be a gamer and say that you haven't played a Final Fantasy game? I'm sorry, I didn't own a PlayStation. They weren't on consoles that I played for a very long time. And since then, uh, the modern ones have been that interesting to me. Um, Like, it's just... We all have our things that don't connect with us or the holes that we're going to have in our experience because no one can play everything unless it is literally your job to constantly be playing new games all of the time. And I think that's okay. I, 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 I know that um, there's obviously going to be some amount of pressure to, to get in with the crowd on this. But I honestly think that it's important to talk about the games that you can understand from an artistic level have a lot of merit, but just aren't for you. Because if nothing else, people who are listening to this podcast now have a much better idea of whether or not a game is going to click with them. If there are elements that you dislike about a future game that are like these elements and they didn't mind them here. I just find that stuff to be more interesting. I think it makes critics better when we're more willing to be honest about how we feel about certain games. And oh boy, is games journalism missing people who are willing to be outside of the norm of where opinions land. Because it just feels like so many people are scared to be the ones to give this critically acclaimed game a bad review because they'll just get hate for it for years I mean, God, what Jim Sterling, James Stephanie Sterling is still getting criticism for their Breath of the Wild review to this day. Like, I get it. Um, I just, I'm glad that you, you brought this to the table because I really want to push back against that idea. I think it's important. Um, but there's one other thing I'd like to do, Walter, before we move on and you get a final verdict here. Um, because you said you haven't seen anything about this game you haven't watched a playthrough previously so you don't know what the final boss of the neutral ending that you were moving towards looks like that's correct uh i i i vaguely might know who it is but i'm not a hundred percent i'm gonna send you a picture right now and you tell me if this is what you were expecting because i could tell you right now it wasn't for me why did you send me a screenshot from spore (laughs) it's wild right it's a completely different style than everything else in the game it's nightmarish seeing it in motion only makes it more nightmarish okay i'm glad Um, i didn't fucking play this game all right i'm i'm uh, yeah i'm glad i didn't (laughs) what the toby are you okay dude no he's absolutely not like i think he would agree with my guy like what the fuck man 
I'm oh. Ugh, okay. Uh <laughs> okay, sure. I guess now I need to go watch some like playthrough or speed run of it. Um I I, I know sure. where you're gonna go. Are you gonna I incomplete. I refuse to tell people whether they should or shouldn't play this game based off of my experience because I my experience is my own um in in this one instance and i don't want to sully anyone else's um thoughts or desires um i think everyone should i i do think this is a game that everyone should at least try to play um and have their own experience and decide whether they like it whether they want to just go full-on pacifist to start whether they want to go you know suicide murder hobo like however you want to play it you guys play it for yourself um, and at the end, when I give social media, by all means, reach out to me and tell me about your Undertale experiences because um, I do feel a, an incredible amount of guilt for not enjoying this game and for having to come on here and be like, I didn't like Undertale. Um, but it's okay. It's okay not to like everything. And this is definitely an instance where I can respect the art and the artist and you know it, it's sort of like dixie chicks and country music i don't like country music at all uh there is there is very rarely any songs by bands that i do like that when they you know kind of dip into country that i enjoy but i also understand that and i guess they i they're not the dixie chicks anymore but the chicks are a pretty important part of musical history and i can you know accept uh, and understand that their music is is really important and has value and means a lot to a lot of people uh, and it not, you know, not have that same weight to me. Um, so I'm sorry, please don't make me the video game critic that hated Undertale. I don't want that to be my tagline. I'd much rather be the guy who... <laughs> Um, hey, I'd much rather be the guy who spends like $200 on Marvel Snap a year, a month. Like, yeah, get, make, make me that tag instead. I, I'd much rather do that. I'd much rather be that. I'd rather be the whale of Marvel Snap than the guy that didn't like Undertale. Uh, but Chase, if, yes, <laughs> you didn't play Undertale. No, what though did, I will say all of this has made me think that if we ever were to do another like uh, contest the way that we did back in the Guest of the Lions days, the prize for me, if I were to win, would be for you to change your Twitter profile to the guy that didn't like Undertale. That would be, I think, a really good way to handle that. Um, but no, I didn't play Undertale. What did um, you play this week? Now that I'm texting Elon, asking him to kill Twitter. Oh, don't worry. He's on his way to do that on without your provocation. I, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey, Walter. Because before I can talk about the game that I played this week... I need to tell you about the game that made me want to play the game that I played this week. And that would be SteamWorld Heist. SteamWorld Heist is a game I played a few years back, so people are going to have to forgive me if my memory is a little bit hazy on some of the details. But the thing you need to know about SteamWorld Heist is that it's fucking fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with SteamWorld Heist. SteamWorld Heist, for those of you who don't know, is a 2D turn-based tactics shooter. Um, you have a, a small group of characters, um, and kind of like what you would expect in a turn-based strategy game, you move your characters a certain amount based on their movement points, and you have action points that you can spend in order to either fire a normal shot, or if you've saved up the resources, uh, you can use some of their powers in order to get certain advantages, whether they be movement powers, or whether they be powers that allow you to deal more damage, or to ricochet, 
all sorts of different upgrades and customizable uh, elements, uh, including uh, weapon upgrades. And my favorite upgrade, the hats. You can collect almost a hundred different hats in this game, Walter, most of which you get by shooting them off of your enemies so that you can then pick them up later and add them to your collection. I like that. Which is fantastic. Wonderful. And as you can imagine, the sense of humor for this game is very much built around that concept. You are in a world uh, in which um, it's a few hundred years after SteamWorld Dig, which was the first game in the SteamWorld series that really caught on. You've got uh, some scrapper gangs that are kind of your your foragers uh, who are kind of hostile and have kind of gone crazy, having been isolated from the rest of the world. The Royal Space Force, which is your controlling uh, militia group that's trying to uh, kind of rule the galaxy and bring order that, of course, benefits them more than anything. There are these like alien volt bots called the Vectron Hive that have their own agenda that you kind of have to thwart and a rebellious neutral faction known as the Cowbots, uh, because of course they're called the Cowbots, uh, And they are, uh, and that would be your team. You are leading you, uh, Captain Piper and her motley crew on an adventure through space. And the key here is that unlike a lot of those, uh, XCOM type games, these turn-based shooter, uh, these turn-based strategy games. You actually do the shooting in this one, not in like a, a fast-paced action moment, but you have to aim your shot before you hit the action trigger, which means that you have to react to the environment of every individual level. Oftentimes, if you want to hit an enemy while staying in a place that is going to be safe for you, because your units are pretty fragile overall, you will have to aim it like bouncing off of a wall and planning these ricochet angles in order to get just the right shot in order to try to hit them in the head, because the headshots obviously do more damage than the body shots do. And some enemies will have shields you have to work around, so you'll have to fire at them in a way that allows you to hit them from behind in order to uh, then switch... Uh, their shield sign, uh, side so that you can then find a more direct power attack with one of your other units. And there are a lot of really clever, small things in here with the gameplay that is really fun. It gives just enough strategy that you feel like you can kind of customize how each turn is going to go, and it feels really rewarding when you line up that perfect shot that ends up hitting multiple people because you happen to get the explosive ability that you'd perfectly prepped for, and you hit the uh, kind of security bot that increases an alarm and adds that kind of danger mechanic where more reinforcements will come in, similar to a lot of stealth games. So there's that angle to it as well. It's just a really engaging set of gameplay. And the characters are fantastic. Um, Piper is your kind of... Uh, your your wonky, a little bit eccentric hero type, but you've got Gabriel Seabrass Stubb, who is the kind of, uh, used to be a whaler before the Royalists took over. Now he's trying to, to get his revenge. Or, or Sally Bolt, who um, used to work on a farm until the Royalists started, you know, digging for so much oil that the farm got ruined, and now she has her shotgun and she wants revenge. And then there's Bogdan the Great Ivansky, who has like a like a 
barbell and is almost like the circus strongman stereotype, but a robot. They're all robots, obviously. It's called SteamWorld Heist for a reason. Um, and he had to leave the circus because people found out that he's actually a softie. Um, and he couldn't stand up to people <laughs> saying that he needed to get tougher, so he left. Uh, right. So now he fights for you. It's And all of these characters are that kind of fun. Um, it's just a real... A really great cast. Uh, my favorite is uh, Billy Gill, um, who is a fish robot, who the entire uh, game, uh, he's, his, his voice lines are blub, blubbity blub, 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 blurb, if he ever loses his hat. That's how you know it's serious, because it's blurb with four U's in all caps. And when you beat the game, he turns to all of you and says, I blub you all. Which really... Oh, what more could you want? That is, He's great. That's precious. Yeah, so SteamWorld Heist is a fantastic little game. A game that I would argue is criminally underrated because it was a it came out, I think, on the DS first, uh, the 3DS, and then had some staggered console releases, and it was always going to be a kind of indie title um, so with its kind of uh, quirky appeal to it. But it's fun. The gameplay is fun. The characters are great. The story gives you just enough of these moving pieces to really immerse you in the world and make you invested in these characters and their journey. And I loved it. I love SteamWorld Heist. I'm pausing here in case you want to say anything before I get no, into the next no, game. No, like, honestly, otherwise I will. You've completely sold me on this, and I'm curious why this wasn't just the game that you played the entire time. It seems quirky. I know you said it's, you know, it's kind of turn-based, but it it doesn't really it doesn't feel turn-based from how I'm how I'm looking at it. The side-scrolling aspect of it seems pretty unique. So, what what did this inspire you to play instead? Well, see, here's the thing, Walter. Um, I played SteamWorld Heist uh, a few years ago, and I beat it, and I 100%ed it. I bought the DLC because I wanted to support the devs, even though I think I'd gotten the initial game for free in one of those humble bundles way back in the day. Uh, and I loved it. And I remember SteamWorld Heist. And I came across a game called SteamWorld Quest, The Hand of Gilgamesh. Oh, God. And so, Walter... This is a game set in the world that I loved. This very quirky, fun robot game with this like silly cast of characters um, that had like a lot of heart to it, uh, despite the fact that the premise was overall a little bit silly and cliche. Um, so much to collect, so much to get excited about. And I saw that, wait, there's a new game in the series that is a card game? Oh, I love card games. We know, those of you who have listened to this podcast, we know how much I love card games. This is a match made in heaven, right? It's going to be great. Oh, no. And I played it. Oh, no. It's fine. Oh. It is aggressively mediocre. Oh, no. And I have been playing it on and off for the past year or so, I would say. Every now and then I'm like, you know, I should give that game another shot because it's a card game and I like some elements of it. And, and let's see if this time around it sticks. And me talking about it on the podcast today, Walter, 
is me throwing up the white flag. I've given up. I don't care anymore. It's not worth it. It is a sunk cost fallacy, and I have given up on this game. Oh, okay, okay. So so let's start with the good first. What do you... Because I feel like you've got a lot to say about it that that's, you know, mediocre slash bad. So why... What What's the good that kept drawing you back? Well, you know, the game has a very silly attitude to it, right? SteamWorld Quest is told from the perspective of one of the uh, kind of uh, first recruits that you have in SteamWorld Heist. And it's presented as this kind of fairy tale setting. Like originally he's going to tell a story about pirates, but then his son is like, no, I want a fantasy story. And he's like, all right, well, I'll give you a fantasy story. And so we get this game. Um, and there's, you know, your your protagonist is Armilly, who is uh, kind of the classic hero who desperately wants to be seen as a hero, um, but is rebuffed at every turn. Like she goes to like the Heroes Guild and is rejected multiple times um, and turns out to be way more of a hero, of course, by the end than those people ever were. Um, but, you know, there, she's kind of the type to um, narrate her own story. There's that kind of, and now the hero and her bold companions will go forth and find this hidden mystery and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's just kind of silly. It's fun. It's a good attitude to it. Um, you've got Copernica, who's like your, um, book type, right? The, um, the magical university expert who, uh, believes that everybody should benefit from magic and, and should study it and has her own kind of magical effects that she's able to amplify with a group. And, you know, there are the rest of them, um, which I guess is part of the problem is that by the time uh, Auric and the uh, twins Tara and, and Thane came together, I'd already kind of built my core three. I was happy with the three we started with, felt like it had a really good balance, and I just never felt the need to engage with them, even if they theoretically had more to do with the plot. But like, whatever, right? It's it doesn't need to be this like super intricate plot. It just needs to be fun. And it kind of is fun. There are moments that are fun. If you think about it too hard, it gets a lot less fun. Um, but if you can turn your brain off, it's just a light, airy adventure is how the critics who enjoyed this game put it. Um, there is nothing <laughs> to delve into that has quite the charm of SteamWorld Heist, but you can squint at it and get to something that would approach that. And you know me, I love card games, and the card game battle system is, is pretty interesting. Uh, you have this kind of energy system that you charge up, getting yourself more gears as you use these basic cards. And the more gears you have, the more powerful cards you can use. Um, every unit that you have in your party has eight cards that they put into their deck, and all three decks are kind of shuffled together at the start of the battle. Um, you have a chance to throw away two cards on every turn, so you're constantly cycling through things. And you have uh, two ways of kind of building up a combo. Every character has their own special ability that procs if you play three of their cards back to back to back. Um, or if you uh, have uh, certain cards, uh, they will benefit from uh, having synergy 
with other heroes. So there will be cards that, for instance, if our Millie uses after Copernica uses her spell, gets a bonus effect that could be quite strong. And so you're encouraged to, to synergize and find these combos. Um, and it feels like depth at the time. It feels like there's uh, enough to dig into to uh, get into this kind of deck building element because you can upgrade the cards and you can, um, you know, because it's just eight cards you uh, for each person, you really have to choose what cards are going to make the cut and how many copies you're going to run and uh, how you're going to balance the economy across the three players that you use because you need to have those basic cards in order to get those powerful effects. But, you know, you could have a unit that only does the cheap stuff in order to generate more mana for the rest of the, your cast so that they can have a big pop-off turn elsewhere. Do you want to go all in for combos or do you want a little bit more consistency? There are some decisions to be made. For a bit. And then you realize that the game isn't really difficult enough that you have to upgrade things. And you don't really get enough resources unless you're replaying levels over and over again to be able to upgrade everything that you want to upgrade. So you're typically just going to use the new card that you unlocked because it's probably slightly better than the card that you had before. And you've already spent time building those first three decks. So do you really want to stop everything and build out these other two decks with people that have fewer options because maybe there's some synergy there that you don't immediately see that could be slightly more powerful than the thing that is having no problem getting through the game at all? I mean, you could. It is a thing you could do. But I never really felt compelled to do it. And so I just threw two of the five characters aside, which is something that I was able to avoid even in, uh, oh God, what was the name of that? Uh, Destiny of Cards. In Destiny of Cards, a game that was so middling that I forgot its name for a second. Um, Voice of Cards, I still experimented more with that game than I did with this one, because it felt more rewarding for you to do so because at least you were invested in the personalities of the characters because they were characters and not purely cliches. Even if they were archetypes, they like took themselves seriously within the context of the world. And Steamworld games aren't necessarily built for that. And this is where the rubber really met the road for me. I was able to get behind SteamWorld Heist because the silliness was there to amplify a setting that was already a natural fit for the game. You've got a bunch of robots. They're going on robot space adventures. The concept makes sense. You've got your different factions. Everything's all set up, and it's focused on the characters and how they interact with each other and how these different factions interact with the world. Whereas this game is making a lot of references to other fantasy uh, projects and all these different uh, movies or characters that you're already very familiar with and like oh boy you you sure recognize that thing don't you and yeah i do do you have a joke or is it just like you're just going to be tongue-in-cheek the entire time and i think it was when they started talking about the necronomicog that i just I just couldn't, man. I just, 
I, I never fully came back from that moment because it was so clear in that moment that this was less of a game than a collection of mechanics and references held together with string, hoping that you would not mind all of the elements that just aren't there, like a plot or a reason to be invested in the deck building mechanic behind, besides making big number go bigger. Hey, Chase, you remember when I played Tiny Tina and you asked me how well did the game handle like the role-playing setting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hi. Th- yep, this is it. <laughs> you would fucking hate <laughs> Tiny Tina. <laughs> I I probably would. And I I don't I don't blame them for going in this direction, right? It's an indie studio. You've got to focus on your resources. And I think a lot of time was put into trying to make these cards balanced, into trying to make these multiple different ways of playing something that you could engage with if you're having enough fun with the combat in order to want to engage with it. And I just found that because I had so few choices in my deck building, because each character can only have eight cards and you have so few resources over the course of a game to either buy new cards or upgrade the couple cards that you have that you end up building around these kind of classics and that's it. And because you can run, I think up to four copies of a card, like you're always as a card game player. If you play competitively, you understand that running more copies of a card is just straight up better. So you're never going to run more than a couple cards in each deck if you're trying to be optimal, which means that it gets repetitive, which is the worst thing a card game can be. And I I think Voice of Cards had the same problem um, in that it was a game that had battle systems that were solvable. And as a result, the rest of the game had to stand up on its merits And oh boy, is it a bummer to me to say that in a series that I previously loved so much for its charm and its wit and its ability to get me engaged with an otherwise silly premise and a very charming cast of characters that SteamWorld uh, Quest, The Hand of Gilgamesh, never clicked with me on that. Well, one, there's there's good news for you, Chase. There is more SteamWorld coming. It's true. There's, there's, there's a management games. game that I can't pretend to be excited about. Because <laughs> I don't play management games very often. Uh, unless there's a dating sim element attached, it's hard to get me engaged, Walter, on a management sim. Touche. I hope, I hope that you have a great time with it, if you ever give it a shot. Um, well, I don't know if it's any good, but maybe... <laughs> Uh, but the 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 second more like serious point is so so you're missing the challenge. Why isn't this a situation where you would create your own challenge, where you would artificially create a challenge, where you would try to use those two other characters that you'd thrown to the side, or you would handicap yourself by saying, "No, I'm only going to allow one co- uh, you know one copy of each card." Is it the fact that the rest of the game wasn't engaging enough to? push you to want to keep playing it for that stuff where you would create those challenges or is it just why would you do that when the game allows you to play optimally i think it's a little bit of both i i think that 
like for the record, I imagine that Auric and, and the uh, the twins, while I did not engage with them very much, probably had combos that were more powerful than what I was doing. Right? Like, there's a reason those characters were unlocked later. And if you've ever played any game in which you unlock more characters over time, games usually do a pretty good job of making those characters particularly powerful so that you are encouraged to try them out and use them, even though you've already found something that you're comfortable with. Um, So I'm sure there are ways of optimizing I could have engaged with if I enjoyed it. And I'm sure there were challenges I could have put on myself. The problem I think there and this is going to be really weird as someone who plays a lot of collectible card games and trading card games. It's the deck building. I didn't find it fun. Deck building takes time that I could be spending just killing enemies and moving on to the next level. And if it had the same kind of quirkiness that the guns in SteamWorld Heist do, where they all feel super original and different and you have to really consider how these different upgrades will engage with the environment that you're about to head into, then yeah, I'd probably be more interested in it because I could spend time trying to optimize for a specific fight or coming up with these weird combinations just to see if it worked. But deck building is different because deck building is looking at a lot of numbers and damage types and trying to figure out what is quote-unquote optimal, uh, what is fun, what is interesting. And there isn't enough variety in the kinds of card effects to make that challenge fun. You know, let's, let's think about Marvel Snap as a comparison point, right? Marvel Snap has some cards that are pretty straightforward, that you know exactly what they are. You can build a deck together. The Destroy archetype is a perfect example of that, right? There are cards that want to be destroyed. There are cards that destroy. There are very clear synergies there. You can build that deck without really having to think about it and probably have a decent time with it. Um, the, the synergies are there. It feels satisfying to pull off. Um, You could also have decks that involve some weird cards that require you to outplay your opponent. Obviously, Arrow is quite strong. The ability to move your opponent where you want them to uh, is is inherently going to be good. But Juggernaut is a great example of a card I think is criminally underrated because if you time it at just the right moment, you can force your opponent out of the lane that they would otherwise be in, and it feels super satisfying. You outplayed them. You, you did a thing that they didn't see coming, and there's a satisfaction from it. Or it could be like a roguelike, right? Roguelikes are perfect for the kind of game that SteamWorld Quest was trying to be, in that everything you have to keep experimenting, right? You have to keep trying these different things, and you have to adjust based on what it is that you get. And as a result, you're constantly finding these new synergies naturally because it's all you have because you need to experiment, because experimentation is the only way you can get through to the next layer of difficulty, and you're never going to have the same situation twice. This is neither of those things. The deck-building decisions aren't particularly interesting, because outside of trying to balance gear cost versus damage type versus just raw numbers... It's not particularly engaging. And I'll be honest with you, I think this game would benefit greatly 
from having the HP totals be a lot lower than they actually are. Uh, your average like grunt enemy by the mid game has about a thousand points of health. And your cards are doing something like 98 damage on a basic attack or 260-something damage on a, on a like two-cost card. And when the numbers get that big, you stop being able to make quick, easy judgments on what's more powerful than another thing. You can't just look at a card and be like, okay, well, that's three mana, and that deals about 150 damage, but it deals it to all people. So that's about 100... 50 per mana spent, but obviously depends on the weaknesses or whatever. But there's also this card that costs one less and it does uh, about 250 damage, but it's a different type. And like my eyes start to roll over in my skull. And that's weird as a card game guy. I acknowledge that. <laughs> but there's just, there's somehow too much to keep in mind and none of it matters because it's brain dead easy if you want to just beat the game. So basically, this is a game, you go, you grab a guide, it tells you how to beat it, and then you beat the game. And the story isn't engaging or interactive enough, and the characters don't make you care as much as SteamWorld Heist. And you are here at the point where, why would I waste any more time on something I'm not enjoying? I'll go one step further. You don't need a guide. You can just come up with a thing that seems like it should work, and the game's easy enough, you're going to be fine. I never once had to make a change to my deck. I made minor changes every now and then because I unlocked a new card that very clearly had a higher number on it than my previous card. But outside of those rare moments, because you rarely get more than one card a character per level... You don't have to change. It'll work. The game is so afraid of giving you a true challenge that it just bounces off of you entirely. So, yeah, it's um, it's a bummer. Because you know me. I love card games. I wanted to love this game. I love the the sense of humor I know these developers have in them. But I think they were so busy on, like, wouldn't it be funny if we had robots in this fantasy world? And how would the robots handle this situation in a fantasy world? Because obviously these things would be a little different. And how many robot puns can we fit into this fantasy world? That it just lost the things that made Heist so charming and endearing. And there's less skill expression in building a deck than there was in figuring out the right angle before you shoot a gun. And that is the worst thing you can say about a card game. So it sounds like uh, Heist is a recommendation and SteamWorld Quest Hand of Gilgamesh is a not recommendation. Absolutely. And it boggles my mind that these two games basically have the same Metacritic rating. Like, the critics were equally in favor of both of these games, which is wild to me. I can't recommend SteamWorld Heist more. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I thought it was a blast. There are some points, especially in the third act, where you can say maybe it didn't need to be quite as long as it was. I think the content's worth it, uh, and I was enjoying the gameplay enough. Um, and I thought it had a really nice challenge to it. So I, I think it's fantastic. I highly recommend 
Hand of Gilgamesh. I mean, look, I got about seven or eight hours into it. I played enough to get at least more than halfway through the game. I think I was about two thirds of the way by the time I wrapped up. So I'm not going to say it's without its merits and I'm not going to lie to you and say that there aren't some satisfying turns when you get just the right combo that you built your deck around. It's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. There are so many good card games out there, including the one I'm probably going to talk about two weeks from now, because I got to tell you, I still need more time with the game I'm actively playing. Um, But there's so many good card games out there, and I'm just, I'm not able to settle for a mediocre one. I can't recommend it. But I hope you, listeners at home, can recommend this podcast if you enjoyed it. Don't, 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 don't. (laughs) Don't? What, should you not recommend this podcast? I feel like you're giving mixed messages to the audience, Walter. Recommend the series. Maybe don't start them with this podcast. (laughs) I don't want to be the Undertale guy. Please don't make me the Undertale guy. (laughs) Please. Well, if you want to talk to me about uh, which SteamWorld game is your favorite, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. And of course, if you follow us on, on our main Rough Drafts podcast feed, um, you can get our Final Cut movie podcast, where you'll find out that not only is Walter the Undertale guy, he's also the tar guy, um, which uh, really gives him uh, two birds with one stone right about now. Uh, but Walter, where can the folks at home uh, talk to you in a very reasonable and civil matter about a game that the internet definitely handles responsibly? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. And, and Chase, I actually forgot to bring this up on the uh, podcast last week, Final Cut Triangle Ooh. of Sadness. Go give that a listen. I actually listened to a couple of YouTube videos about Tar because, again, I was just curious. And apparently the accent on the name, makes it mean tear. Mm-hmm. That would have made that movie make absolutely no more sense. <laughs> Look, let's be clear. She's just the kind of person who would put an accent on her name because she thinks it looks fancier. But that's okay. Y'all can uh, can let us know what you think about this and any other episode. And you should come back in two weeks where we're going to talk about completely different games, perhaps with less controversial opinions attached. But until then, goodbye, Internet.